I want to go to the Old Testament this morning in our time together in the Word. I'm going to read one of the most familiar um, uh, stories, or at least part of it, that I think probably most people know. It's about Joseph, but it's about more than that. It's about his family. But I want the Spirit of the Lord to speak to us today. Uh, so join me over in, in chapter 37 of Genesis, and uh, we're going to read some from the Word of the Lord there about Joseph's story. Let me just share with you that Jacob, of course, is his dad, and he is also called Israel. You'll see that here in verse 1 and 3. So let's begin uh, uh, chapter 37, Genesis, uh, verse 1. Now Jacob dwelled in the land where his father was a stranger or had sojourn in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report to them, to his father. And here's where it calls Jacob Israel. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children, because he was the son of his old age. Also he made him a tunic of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Let's go down to verse 23 and pick the story up from there. So it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him. Then they took him and cast him into the pit, and the pit was empty for there was no water in it. Let's go down to verse 28 and pick it up again. The Midianite traders passed by, so the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver, and they took Joseph to Egypt. Then Reuben, a brother that had been absent, returned to the pit, and indeed Joseph was not in the pit, and he tore his clothes. And he returned to his brothers and said, The lad is no more, and I, where shall I go? So they took Joseph's tunics, killed a kid of the goats, and dipped the tunic in his blood. Then they sent the tunic of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, We have found this. Do you know whether this is your son's tunic or not? And he recognized it and said, It is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Without doubt, Joseph is torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his waist, and mourned for his son many days. And all of his sons and daughters arose to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted and said, For I shall go down into the grave to my son in mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Notice verse 36, it says, Now the Midianites sold him, meaning Joseph, sold him into Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and captain of the guard. The longer I live and the more I learn about human nature and how we react to things is, a, is something I like to study and watch. But the longer I live, the more I realize the importance of two things I'd like to bring our attention to this morning. First of all, the importance of attitude. 
our talents, our gifts, our abilities, all that we have that we know that the Lord has given us, I want to tell you they are enhanced or they are negated many times by the attitude that we have about our life. A good attitude makes a gift beautiful. A good attitude and a right attitude makes a, a talent wonderful. But no matter the talent, if it comes with the wrong attitude, it begins to lose its value. The other thing that I think is important is a thing called perspective. Whether positive or negative, whether temporal or eternal, whether human or divine, whether we trust or doubt, whether we have faith or we live in unbelief, it is important the perspective that we have. And when you take attitude and perspective, it becomes what we think. And I say, no, no wonder the enemy works so hard on our thought life. And no wonder the enemy works so hard to try to control our emotions. No wonder also God instructs us in Proverbs 4.23, a major verse of scripture in Holy Writ. It says, keep or guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. And ladies and gentlemen, through our emotions and through circumstance, our attitude and our perspectives are developed. And if we do not do them in discipline and according to the Word of God, we can be prey to the enemy. And such, I believe, is the case in this particular hour, not only in America, but across the world. We are in the middle of a world dilemma. I just want to give us some instruction today, I think, especially for the Christian, but for all of us involved. If you want to look again, you can. There's an important word, the very first word of the 36th verse of Genesis chapter 37. The word there in the King James Version is and. But if you were to look in the New American Standard Bible and then in the NIV, Translation, that word is changed to meanwhile. The scene depicted here in Genesis 37, Joseph's brothers deliver their deception to his dad. Jacob the father mourns in anguish. Suddenly the scene shifts from Joseph and it says, meanwhile. That time, the meanwhile time, can be challenging to human beings. Meanwhile, it it has a meaning about it. We'll talk about it in a minute. Here's Joseph. To be honest with you, Joseph is a spoiled brat. His older brothers hated him. They were, of course, out of different mothers, but they hated him for good reason. Joseph was Jacob's next to the youngest son. And Jacob made no effort to hide his special favor for his son, Joseph. As a matter of fact... Jacob made Joseph a special coat, the scripture says, of many colors, a loud multicolor sport coat, if you will, and his brothers had nothing to compare to it. It literally showed a favoritism toward Joseph compared to the others. And Joseph, to add to it, was a tattletale. He was among the younger brothers. He would rat on his older brothers every time they did something that Joseph didn't like. He would run and tell dad. But what really made the brothers angry were Joseph's dreams. This young man had dreams. He was a dreamer. Joseph 
being younger and smaller and picked on as many younger children are, he harbored dreams like every other little brother or younger sibling. If you've had older brothers and sisters, perhaps you know how that works. You get tired of being picked on. You get tired of being the young one, the little one, and you get tired of never being able to win a fight. So one day you just get enough and you just sort of let it all come out and you say to your older sibling, you just wait. One of these days I'll get you back. Or one day you'll be sorry. And Joseph had dreams about that. However, these dreams that Joseph had were far more than childhood rivalry. They were God-given prophecy. Joseph dreamed one day his brothers in the future one day would bow to him and that he would rule and reign over them. He dreamed that he would reign over his entire family. But he made matters worse. Every time he had a chance, he would tell his dreams to his brothers and those brothers hearing that they would bow down to him and worship him or be under his leadership made them furious. Well, the day came. They, the brothers couldn't stand it any longer. So they said, in essence, enough of our father's pet. Every time they saw that coat, they burned with resentment. And so finally one day, attending sheep a great distance from the home, they saw Joseph coming to report to them, and they grabbed him. As a matter of fact, they stripped him of that special multicolored coat. But rather than kill him, they dropped him into an empty cistern and thought that would be the end of him. But later they were eating lunch and weary of, I believe, Joseph's crying out of that pit. They saw a caravan of, headed toward Egypt. So they flagged down the caravan made a deal for 20 pieces of silver, and sold their brother. Wow, I think they thought, what a deal. We're rid of Joseph. We're rid of this brat and without murder. There's only one problem. What do we tell father? So they dipped Joseph's multicolored coat in goat's blood. They took it to Jacob. He believed them and vowed he would mourn until his death. Except for father's grief, the plan of the older brothers was came off without a hitch. Everything went just as they planned. The brat was gone. They would never be bothered again. Chances are in slavery he wouldn't live long anyway. And no more playing favorites. No more tattletale. Best of all, no more hearing about the crazy dreams. End of story. Can I pause and say, not quite. Tacked on the end of this chapter is that verse. That verse 36 insists this story is not over. <laughs> it tells us it's not over by a long shot. That word, meanwhile, the Midianites sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, one of the Pharaoh's captains. Don't sell that story short on its front, meanwhile, and don't sell it short on its last into Potiphar's, into Potiphar's Pharaoh's captain. Meanwhile, meanwhile, what does that, what does that word suggest to us? 
if we think about it a little bit, this meanwhile probably for some means just like, it goes just like normal, just some more time to pass. Uh, it brings to mind the old grade B westerns that I used to see when I was a kid. They would flash words across the screen and it would say, meanwhile, back at the ranch. <laughs> Just some more of the same. It means to many, no change, nothing exciting, nothing is going on. Uh, what you see is what you get. However, here in Genesis, it's an entirely different story. This word, meanwhile, leaves the door cracked open. It suggests that there is more to come. But even far beyond that, it reminds us that at times, God's ways are hidden from our vision. It reminds us that God's purposes are at times worked out in secret. It means to us, it reminds us that despite what we see, and this is what I want to emphasize this morning. Despite of what we see, ladies and gentlemen, God is working. In spite of each day's events, whatever they might be, I want to declare to you that even in this chapter we're living today, God is fulfilling His purpose. And that's exactly what the brothers of Joseph didn't see. They believed He was gone. They believed his dreams had been silenced. But this meanwhile hints otherwise. I trust you know the rest of the story. If you don't, you can read it. It's an awesome story. In Egypt, despite the numerous setbacks, Joseph, just as he prophesied in his dreams, he ascended in the ranks of leadership over in Egypt. He finally got to a place of prominence and power. Because one of his dreams told about seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. And Pharaoh looked and said, he gave the dream, he interpreted, or interpreted the dream, and that let him know this man will lead that situation. Eventually, Joseph's family does, out of the famine, come to Egypt to buy food. And his family, just like he saw years ago, indeed, bows down to him. His brothers, they bow to him to receive food, just like he saw it in his dreams. But this meanwhile affirms the hidden hand of God, ladies and gentlemen, in human affairs. If we could remember that God is still working in any meantime of our life, it will help us. It will keep us steadfast. It will keep us in the faith. We will faith every day, not so much as a noun, but as a verb. If, if we would keep in mind that God is still working, even when we can't see it, and we may feel like we're in an uncertain day, if we could remember that, it would bolster our faith. It would deliver patience to our hearts. It would keep us, frankly, far less irritable. It would cause us to anticipate the wonder and the joy of the eternal promised providence, God making provision for us 
in the lives of God's people. And ladies and gentlemen, when you're at peace with God and His providence and you trust in Him, it affects our attitude and it affects our our perspective. Scattered throughout Joseph's story, if you read it, you'll find these words. Time and again it appears, the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. If I can say in other words, what is happening in the natural world was not being seen in the spirit world, but God was working his work in that young man's life. A southern preacher by the name of Marnie once said these words, Unless we learn to live in the meantime, we won't amount to much. And that's the big challenge. Living, faithing it, staying steadfast, immovable, without doubt, without murmuring, with a right attitude and a right perspective, living in the meantime. Living, faithing your life between events, if you will. Staying with the faith when the landscape looks barren. When nothing on the horizon speaks of faith. When every circumstance Satan sets up looks as if it's headed to your ruin. Or there's so much question, he will try to emotionally get you to doubt. But yet we hold on to the truth that something is going on in the spirit world. Ladies and gentlemen, our God is not unoccupied. God is working His work. I just want to share this with you. There is no emergency in heaven. Everything about this planet and all creation, everything's all right in the Father's house. I have to make this personal because I I experience it just like everyone else. I love the geometric axiom that says the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. <laughs> I, I say that, but it's apropos to my life because I will declare to you, I could live in daily victory if I had my own private personal helicopter. <laughs> because frankly, I am an impatient person. I work on it and I pray about it and I've tried it, but I just like to be where I want to be actually before I ever start to get there. Okay, I've confessed my sin. I just, and I get frustrated. I've told many times my wife's riding with me and I talk to the driver that slows me down in front of me or goes back and forth. And my wife finally gets to the point. She said, just be quiet. They can't hear you and I don't want to hear you. (laughs) And I understand that. I understand it. But most of us, if we confess, we're, we don't do what the Scripture says. We don't do all things without murmuring. Sometimes we don't count it all joy as we are taught in Scripture. Most of us raise that flesh every day. It rises again that we try to take to the cross every day. But here's the bottom line. We want to get what we want when we want it, how we want it, and we want it immediately. That's the urgency that is in the hour in which we live. But most of us have to learn. We usually run into a few detours in life. I just want to tell you, not everything in life is going to turn out like you think it will. And 
The good news is, though, that no matter what this sin-cursed planet brings, no matter what Satan sets up, the Scripture calls it the snare of the fowler. No matter how many ways Satan tries to destroy your life, God promises you put yourself in His keeping, and nothing will take Him by surprise. And we may not see it with the naked eye, but God is working on our behalf. I've learned interruptions, inconveniences, intrusions may be occasions for God sometime to do His best work in our lives. I will tell you, I've learned that God orders our steps, and we know that's scriptural. But I can tell you this, through a few years of experience, I can declare God also, at times, orders our stops. Sometimes as a minister, I see things of people's need or situations and in counseling. And I just, I, I want to, I have this tendency to, here's how to answer this. Lord, do this and do this. And, and I don't, I don't intend to, but I, I try to think about how the Lord should probably handle this problem. Boy, I'm, I'm confessing a lot of my problems today. <laughs> I, I get anxious sometime and I want God sometimes to follow, I guess, the plan that I would lay out. But I want to share something with you. Sometimes in my inconvenience, sometimes in my greatest interruptions, sometimes when I feel like there's intrusions upon my life and my plans, sometimes I realize that God orders a stop, and I learn something in that. God finally gets me still enough and quiet enough. Can I say my attention enough? to speak to me and teach me and lead me. Most of the time, God uses not the expressway. I've learned that many times God will use the side road. Most of the time, side roads to us are delays that frustrate our impatience. I have asked my congregation, and most of you know it, if you've been here any length of time, I will ask you, how many of you are patient people? But you know what? They won't be honest, half of them. I know they're impatient, but they just don't want to raise their hands and admit it in public. And all my church, you know, and all your homes, wherever you are, you know that. But if we, if we can get our view, if we can get our attitude, and if we can get our perspective to look at a higher plane. This meanwhile means the side road, ladies and gentlemen, is not a waste of our time. It may be some of God's greatest preparation time. And I want to tell you plainly today, I wonder if COVID-19, I don't believe God caused it. I don't believe God authored it. The scripture tells us that sin, sickness, and disease are all from Satan, the evil one. However, God will give us an opportunity, and even this time, to make it a preparation time. And I want to say to you this morning, whether you're at Facebook or my congregation or not, I believe God is trying to speak spiritually to our world And I want to come today and say, whatever you do, do not miss what the Lord is saying. Not only to our world, not only to our country, but to your house. And what's he saying to you? So, I've made a confession that I'm an impatient person. 
I will have to tell you that there are times when I struggle with this thing called meantime. I like to know, I like to know what's going to happen before it happens. I think that's some of the built-in insecure nature that we have by being human beings. But I will tell you this, no matter how many times I try to plan it, no matter how much I try to desire it and try to get God to do things my way, I will tell you this, sometime life can take a sharp turn. And for our world, I will tell you, this, this COVID-19 has turned our world. I sort of look back and think, I wonder if God has a voice in this saying something like this, in all the technology and all the advances of humanity and all the things we've discovered in science. And ladies and gentlemen, thank God for every bit of that. I love our push button world. I, I love a power steering on a car. I, I, I love to, a dishwasher. My wife thinks they're wonderful. I, I, I just think all, thank God for all the modern conveniences. But ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you, uh, life can, can make a sharp turn. And you can imagine that sometimes you don't know what to do and your dreams that you think should go your way will turn. Ask Joseph. Here's something he'll tell you. Actually, it was approximately 13 and a half years from the time that he was sold into slavery to the time he was brought to the throne. 13 and a half years. And Joseph will tell you it's a long way from slavery and the prison to the throne. Sometimes it can seem like a long way from the time I pray till the time God answers that prayer. Sometimes I'm brought to a place of tremendous need before the Lord. Sometimes I know that God wants to spend some time with me. I remember when I was raising my two sons. There were times when they'd come and say, Dad, I need a I need a new baseball glove, or I remember one time, especially Quint, my older son, came and said, Dad, I need some football cleats. And frankly, some, isn't it amazing how when you're, when you're younger, that sometimes the budget's pretty tight and some football cleats might mean a sacrifice or something's a little difficult. And then once your kids are grown and out of school and college, if they were to come and ask you for something that's not near the burden financially, and I think there's good lessons in that. But I, I remember Chad asking for a baseball glove and Quint asking for some football cleats. I was amazed at the point is that I wanted to talk with them. I didn't immediately go buy a baseball glove. I didn't immediately run and buy a pair of cleats. I waited, we waited a day or two till we could get to the store. But I, I remember in me, I believe the Lord taught me he, like myself, I wanted my children to have what they needed. I wanted Quint to have as good a football cleat on as anybody. I wanted Chad to have a new glove so that he, he could do what he needed to do on the field of sport. But more than that, I enjoyed my son's coming and talking to me and asking to me, asking me and telling me about playing football or playing baseball. Wasn't too long after that, I found myself one early one morning praying. I got up out of the bed and went to my living room, and I knelt down in front of my couch. And I was just had a, a burden on my heart, and it was about one thirty-two in the morning. I went in there with a great need, 
and I knelt down. Before I know it, it was about four o'clock in the morning. I awakened, and I had only been only been praying for a few minutes, and I realized that I went to sleep. And the thought came to me, Lord, I wonder just how much you thought I really wanted an answer, or I really needed a baseball glove or a pair of cleats. Lord, I'm sorry, I fell asleep on you. God, I, I it, it probably didn't look like I, I really need this. It probably looked as if though I were insincere. But I want to tell you something. I learned that God treasures our time together more than the gifts that we receive from Him. And I've learned sometimes these meanwhiles, these meanwhiles, God will order stops. Sometimes I think He wants to just say, stop, son, stop, daughter. Let's, let's commune. I have these gifts for you. But I want you more than, than anything. I wonder if the COVID-19 is a time to stop. I wonder if it seems like today, though it's uncertain to us. And I think, thank God, across this world, perhaps as of today, our, our world may be looking better and we're seeing some changes. Maybe we can get over this, and I know we will. But I want to tell you, even though things look uncertain to us, They're not uncertain to God. Here's the message. Meanwhile, meanwhile, in the spirit world, saints, even if you're an unbeliever, let me tell you, the spirit world is just as real as the natural world. But we can't see the spirit world with physical eyes unless God happens to transcend and make that happen in visions or maybe in dreams. But nevertheless, just because our natural eye doesn't see it, doesn't mean the spirit world is not as real as our natural world. Here's what I want to share with us today. Even though we don't see it with our natural eye, for believers and for unbelievers alike, God's saying something to the believers. God's saying something to His body of Christ all over this world. I plead with us, stop long enough time to hear it. And for those of you who aren't believers, I believe God tries to get our attention in many ways. I think God is saying to us, world, look in just how many days the world was totally shaken and rocked and reeled. Can you imagine, ladies and gentlemen, someday when God says it's enough and he turns this world over to the Antichrist, can you imagine how it's going to shake then? I just want to share with you, God is working, Christian, on your behalf. Unbeliever, he is wooing you. He is drawing you. He is trying by vision and trying by spirit to draw you in because I believe the day of the return of Christ is nearing soon. There's a great scripture. I, most people in Christendom know it by heart. It's written by Paul in the eighth chapter of Romans. It says something like this. All things work together for good to them. Notice the requirement for them that love the Lord, for them who are the called, and here's what's important, those who are called according to His purpose. So I want to share with you, Christian, today, if you are in the Lord and you know that you're a child of God, 
I want you to spend time with the Lord and be sure and listen to His voice because I believe God's calling us. Secondly, I think we should be about the Master's business witnessing in this special hour in the meanwhile. And if you're an unbeliever, the Scripture says today's the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. I want to I look in this camera and tell you, I believe that not being saved today that being without God, let me put it that way, not knowing genuine salvation, I want you to know there is loneliness. I want you to know there is great misery. And I would not be without God in this late hour. If I remind you of Noah in his day, those people saw him for years and years building that ark. They had opportunity. And one day it came to where there was no further offering of the Lord for their salvation. Can I tell you this age is coming to an end, not the world, but this age. I believe that we are in the latter days of what I believe is called the church age in scripture. And ladies and gentlemen, now is the time let the voice of God in this meanwhile speak to you and answer it. So, let me affirm to us, Lord, I trust you I trust you for the journey. Lord, I believe you order my steps. And Lord, I believe you order my stops. Ladies and gentlemen, let's be sensitive to the Spirit of God today.